Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkopf, one of your hosts, joined by your other hosts, Chris Cottonmore. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing fine, thank you. It's the beginning of a new week. Riley Fessler, how are you doing? Doing well. What's the top story for today, Chris? Palestinian Prime Minister Mohammed Shatia announced his resignation uh, today. Uh, signaling a move toward the formation of a new consensus among Palestinians regarding political arrangements after Israel's war against Hamas and Gaza. Um, The step aligns with increasing U.S. pressure on President Mahmoud Abbas to reform the Palestinian Authority amidst international efforts to halt the Gaza conflict and establish a governance structure uh, for Gaza post-war. Um, the move still has to be approved by President Abbas, um, who may uh, make the decision to retain him um, in some capacity, caretaker or otherwise, until a successor is found. Um, but that's a, a pretty big story coming out of the, uh, Palestine. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's a step in the direction of the changes that we need. Obviously, there's three levels of political change that are needed. One is the elimination of Hamas as a political force. Another is getting new leadership in the Palestinian Authority, which is currently not capable of uh, replacing Hamas, and it needs to fill that void. And of course, uh, thirdly, you're going to need a new government in Israel. Uh, this comes at the same time that there is some sense that progress is being made on Um, what is considered the other linchpin of bringing this conflict at least temporarily to a close, uh, and that would be a hostage deal uh, that also results in a ceasefire. 
Um, it's very fragile. I would uh, suggest people go and read David Ignatius's column in the Washington Post today, which deals with this. But taken together, uh, these could be encouraging um, signs, although as always with this conflict, um, great caution uh, and, and, and a degree of skepticism is warranted. Riley? Well, Biden is summoning congressional leaders to the White House as a government shutdown looms yet again. But this time it's a bit unique. If you all remember, uh, this is going to be a kind of a two-stage shutdown uh, with the first shutdown being March 2nd and a further deadline a week later. Um, so this was kind of part of the compromise last time and that they were, were splitting funding across two different deadlines. Um this first deadline could affect federal food assistance programs, housing vouchers, and other services. So, I mean, it's the same story it's been each time. I mean, we've passed three stopgap measures since September 30th. It's all come down to the GOP not being able to get everybody in line to pass funding and the more extremists just holding up everything. Uh, and Mike Johnson himself kind of in a precarious situation as if he makes a deal, he might get ousted. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it it's kind of remains to be seen if it's going to be another stopgap or if something more substantial is going to actually be passed. Uh, well, uh, you know, the uh, the Republicans have taken off the past couple of weeks. They don't even get back to work until Wednesday. Uh, and as you note, the deadline, the first deadline is on Friday. So it's quite possible uh, that they will not get anywhere and that the government will start shutting down and that will start affecting people out there, real people who will not get food aid or who may get stuck in lines at uh, airports. And if this thing compounds and goes on for longer, the results could easily be um, big uh, economic consequences in the U.S. and the inability to really move forward on any other issue. Uh, the Republicans uh, have uh, this problem, which is the party is being held captive uh, by the extreme right because it has such a th- the party has such a thin margin in the House uh, that they can't afford to lose a single vote. So every single Republican, no matter how out there his views, has the ability to put the brakes on change, uh, and that's that's a that's a real problem. And people here in Washington are concerned uh, that there will be uh, some sort of government shutdown uh, this time around, uh, which would be a very bad thing for the government, but also for people who depend on the government and uh, for the economy uh, as a whole. If it also leads to an inability to do things like address Ukraine aid, then it has even worse foreign policy consequences. So uh, that's going to be one of the big stories of this week. Chris? Hungary's parliament is set to vote on ratifying Sweden's NATO membership uh, with the expected outcome to be uh, that Sweden will be um, entered into NATO. Uh, This is after 18 months um, of back and forth. And the agreement comes after uh, Viktor Orban and uh, Ulf Christensen met to discuss... um, and agree to a defense agreement uh, that includes Hungary's acquisition of Swedish fighter jets and enhancing military cooperation and trust between the two nations. Um, This is obviously a long time coming. Finland was already uh, accepted into NATO, and uh, this vote hopefully is a formality given that 
Sweden's concessions uh, in those negotiations. Uh, yeah, Orban has been a pain uh, for the West on this. He has dragged his feet, but uh, at the end of the day, it looks like Sweden will get in, and this is a huge deal uh, for NATO, uh, and you know is one of the ways that um, Putin has uh, weakened Russia's position. Having Sweden and Finland in NATO um strengthens nato's northern flanks but it but but these are two very very capable nations um and uh having them into the mix uh uh makes uh, the job of coming at europe which is one of putin's goals more daunting that's a good thing uh having said that uh once again we must look and say why is orban who has been a spanner in the works, as the British like to say, of this process for so long, so popular with the Republicans. Over the past weekend, uh, we had the CPAC meeting, which is the sort of conservative Republicans getting together. They've had Orban there before. They love Orban. Um, he's a bad dude. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, we gotta we got to wonder why there is a large group in the U.S. that supports policies that are anti-U.S. Riley? Well, elections in Belarus uh, at the parliamentary local levels. Uh, David and Chris, you want to make any predictions on who came out on top in these elections? Wait a minute. Could it be Lukashenko? You Could are so right. The governing party? I'm just, this is a wild guess. Um, I should have bet on this on, you know, um, uh, DraftKings or something. I wonder if yes. this was on DraftKings. You could have won cents upon cents for betting on on the Lukashenko government because yes, uh, in the seventy three percent reported turnout, almost all of the seats went to pro government candidates, uh, and this is also in a boycott call from the opposition. The U.S. State Department has condemned the elections already as a sham, uh, whereas Vladimir Putin congratulated Belarus on reinforcing their democracy. So at least somebody is happy about this. Well, he's planning on using the same techniques in his election next month. Uh, and and Trump is wishing he could use the same techniques in the election in November. Uh, he's actually doing it in sort of the Republican primaries by uh, putting in his own guy, oh, you know, in, and, and, and his daughter-in-law in charge of the party. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, the only reason this is significant is it's another anti-democratic move, and Belarus is um, one of Russia's few allies in the eurozone, and uh, uh, an important one, particularly if at some point Putin decides he wants to make a move against Poland or the Baltics. Chris? My final story today is strays away from the bad news that I feel like I've been reporting for the past, I don't know, six months. Um, so, so trying to keep it light. So not, not related to foreign policy, but I came across this story, uh, this morning where a Lego enthusiast has been reconstructing, um, Washington iconic architecture, uh, using random Lego pieces. He maintains a collection of 100,000 pieces and he's been able to uh, reconstruct uh, Dulles Airport's terminal, the Kennedy Center, a DuPont Circle Mansion. And 
I'm struck by this all because my son uh, loves Legos. And while he certainly follows instructions to build sets, he also has built plenty of things um, just from his head, which is amazing to me because I wouldn't even know, know where to start among the pile of uh, of Legos and uh, putting these. I mean, the, the Dulles Airport one is so incredibly detailed. Um, and it's actually in the, in the terminal. It's uh, so, it's so incredible. He's he's managed to build lost baggage out of Lego and, uh, airport delays out of Lego and bad airport food out of Lego. It's, it's just like, it was a nice story. And then you had to poop all over it. Well, I'd tell you something. Um, I think Lego is great. It's a wonderful thing for kids. I'm so glad your son is getting joy out of Lego. If you're a grown up. And you're spending a lot of your time building Lego airports. There is a giant hole in your life, and it is like time to grow up, stop building the Starship Enterprise and real scale out of Lego, and uh, you know, get on with other kinds of things. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world, and. This guy is sitting there going, I uh, wonder how I could build one of those people transporters more accurately using these tiny plastic pieces. Um, but, you know, I'm just a cynic, Chris, and I know you're trying to bring joy into the world, as you always do, and here I am raining on your parade. So I apologize. Riley, do you have something that I can rain on? Uh, no, I have kind of a tonal whiplash <laughs> going from the Lego story. Tonal Whiplash. Here's our newest podcast, Tonal Whiplash with Riley Fessler. <laughs> yeah, go on. So I saw an interesting article in BBC, and I've seen it covered on other outlets of reports that Indian nationals have been duped by Russian agents into fighting in Ukraine, which I thought was just a wild story. And uh, initial reports said there were dozens of men tricked, uh, but another report said up to 100 have been tricked basically with the promises of jobs they go to Russia and then end up being deployed on the front lines in Ukraine. Uh, and of course, many of these guys don't have any kind of background in, in conflict. So they're just completely overwhelmed. Uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of a bizarre story, but I do think it maybe underlines some, some kind of desperation on behalf of Russia. If they're needing to resort to tricks into duping people into fighting in their conflict. Um, you know, I'm not sure if it's ind- indicative of kind of a greater trend, but I j- it's just such an odd story, and I'm kind of curious why they would need to even do this. Well, are, are you curious? I mean, the reality is they're trying to get people onto the front lines. They're running out of people. They've lost, I think, 125,000 troops have died in the course of the past two years. Another 200, 250,000 have been Uh, injured. A lot of people have left Russia so that they don't serve in this military. And they are turning to other peoples from, uh, uh, you know, their sort of sphere of influence uh, via good means or via trickery in order to get them onto the front line. All I would say is, look, folks, in the West, look, folks, in the U.S. Congress, if they're doing this, this is not a sign of strength, right? This is not a sign that things are going great for the Russians. This is the time to be doubling down, giving the Ukrainians what they need in terms of weapons um, and uh, giving them the latitude to use those weapons as they want to, uh, because there is a chance here for Ukraine to push back 
on a Russian army that is obviously um, not only not performing extremely well um, uh, and is really only holding or gaining ground because of the size of Russia versus uh, the size of Ukraine. In other words, they have more resources. Um, this is a, a time that some gains could be made. This is a time that a setback for Putin could be achieved because imagine what the morale is in those Russian units who were full of conscripts who didn't even want to be there in the first place. It's got to be extremely low. There's a lot of evidence that it is. So again, uh, another sign that there are opportunities for gains in Ukraine um, uh, that are being squandered because the um, pro-Russia component of the the GOP, and frankly, that's everybody, right? I mean, one of the things that just happened uh, yesterday was John Thune, thought of as a potential successor to Mitch McConnell in the U.S. Senate as the Republican leader, thought of as kind of a, a sensible guy, endorsed Donald Trump. And of course, Donald Trump has on multiple occasions effectively endorsed Vladimir Putin. Uh, and we've gotten this thing that has happened, which I wrote about in the Daily Beast uh, on Friday, um, which is the, an entire U.S. political party has been co-opted by the Russians in one of the great intelligence uh, achievements of all time, I think. Uh, and even the so-called sensible members of the party are saying, yeah, no, I'm doubling down on this. It's beyond shocking. It's Twilight Zone material. I can't believe we're here. Um, and uh, it's the counterpoint to the story that Riley has just offered. We, through the rest of this week, will be offering you other perspectives in our various podcasts, including the Daily Blast and uh, including each one of our daily deep dives. And we've got a couple of interesting uh, also book conversations, very prominent book authors uh, coming along this week. We encourage you, if you want to understand the stories that we talked about today and all those others, uh, to keep following us here and to follow all those other podcasts. Uh, until then, have a good week, everybody. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Riley. Bye-bye. <laughs>